0: If you have your Bibles or electronic devices, and you're a person that likes to read along or follow along on a, whether it's a handheld device or it's old school Bible, then you can click to or turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going to be this morning. And if not, if you don't have a Bible or handheld device with, with, with an app, with a Bible app, then the words are going to come up to the Scripture in a few minutes as, as, as we read those. And so in some respects, this weekend is part one of a two-part message. So, part one this this weekend I've entitled the message incomparably great, and then next weekend when we look at what God has been doing and what God is doing, and what we believe He's going to do in the future, that's going to be more of an illustration of this message. So, this message is foundational for for next week, and so. So Ephesians chapter one verse nineteen. Is, is like our focal passage, and we'll jump back up to verse 1, and we'll walk, walk our way through, but this is the focal passage. is like the heart of the message, and so here, here's what it says, verse 19, and it says, "...and what is the measurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength." And so when you look at this passage, Paul is talking about that this power of God is incomparably great. And so you can take those two words, and a lot of theologians hang on the two words, greatness and, 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 and power. And so when you look at it in the Greek, it means like megaton dynamite power offered to you. That as a believer, that we have this megaton dynamite power that is offered to us as believers. But for me, that's not where the weight of this verse is. For me, it's that word incomparably. When you look at that word, incompar- incompar- care- immeasurably is what this says. Incomparably great is what I said. But immeasurably, when you look at this word immeasurable, I'll get the word out. <laughs> immeasurable. Are we all tracking? Okay, immeasurable. Whenever, whenever we talk about, like in an earthly way, whenever we talk about how much power something has... We compare it to another, or we compare it to a known, right? So, like, if we want to talk about how much horsepower or, or, or how much power our car has, what do we do? We compare it. We, we say it has this number of, of horsepower. If we, want to, if we want to describe how strong the wind is, like, you know, we compare it to what? Miles per hour, because we get that. Whether it's 50 miles per hour, 60, or like 100 miles per hour, and stay off I-25, that's nuts, right? That is nuts. Where I come from, we call that a hurricane. And you, we just call it a windy day here in Colorado. And so we take the wind, and we'll say, well, you know what? The wind, to try to describe it, we'll describe it with, with miles per hour because we get that. We compare it to miles per hour. And so the same with a hurricane, right? So with a hurricane, we compare it, and we have Category 1, Category two, three, four, 3, and, 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 and so forth. And so the question is, and what Paul's struggling with is this question: how do how do we measure the power of God? I mean, how do we how do we describe the power of God? Because what Paul is saying in this megaton dynamite power of God that's immeasurable, what he's trying to help us to understand is: guess what? God is not like top of the scale. God is not on the scale. God is not even the scale. God is power. And what Paul goes on and lets us know is this issue that that God is willing to like, or or anybody that has power is because God has given it to them. He goes on and says, flowing through you, verse 19 says, immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And so that is a little Greek word that says that any man or woman that has power, power of God in their life, is because God gave it to them. It is because God gave them, and so when you look at this, you realize that as believers in Christ, that we can have this this immeasurable power of God, this megaton dynamite power of of, of God. But but when you talk to Christians, or most people in churches, they don't deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but you know what a lot of them deny? A lot of them deny the power of God in their life. I mean, many. Many contemporary Christians, many Christians in our time really and truly believe that 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 God no longer has the power to answer prayer, to perform a miracle, to meet your needs, to take care of you, to provide for you or to give you strength. I mean, when you look at this issue and there's all kinds of doctrines written around this, There's all kinds of theologies written around this. That all of those gifts, like the miracle of God of answering a prayer and healing and some of those other things, they were dispensed. That's dispensationalism. They were dispensed a long time ago. That was for then, not for now. But yet my Bible tells me, listen, my Bible tells me God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I'm here to tell you that that power, that power is available to you still. That we have for us the immeasurable power of God, the megaton dynamite power of God, and that to answer prayers, to provide for you. Listen, I believe, and just so you know, just to be transparent and so you, you don't have to wonder where I'm at, I believe God still heals, and I believe God still does miracles, and I believe that God still sustains you with his sustaining power and so when you look at my theology, and maybe this will help you. This is just like for free. I spent longer last night on it than I, than I intended to, but I just thought it was somewhere where we needed to sit in the message. That I believe God heals three different ways, and I've seen it. And so the first way is, is, is God heals naturally. God uses your body, Right. I mean, that's a miracle all in itself that God has created your body to where in some areas it can heal itself, right? I can cut my finger. I can put a Band-Aid on it. I take the Band-Aid off a few days later, and guess what? The scar is gone. It's like magic. It's amazing. There's been times that I've gone to the doctor and thought I had a sinus infection, thought I had something, and he said, no, it's just a cold. And so as a result, your body will heal itself. You just need to go home, drink plenty of fluids, take some vitamins, get some rest, and you'll be fine. And there's some times that we can get an illness or, or, or sickness, and our body will fight that off. That's, so sometimes God uses your body, and sometimes God uses medicine. He uses doctors, and he uses nurses to help us, right? And so there are times that we go to the doctor, and we've broken a bone, and God will use a doctor to, fuse, to put that bone back together, but a doctor cannot make the bone grow back together. God does that. And so there's been times that I've gone to the doctor. And he says, you know what you need? You need some meds. You know what you need? You need a surgery. And But there's some times that God heals. I'm just telling you, there's some God, times God heals miraculously. There's, like we can't understand it. We just can't understand it. I mean, he just, he just heals, and it, it, it defies all logic and all, all understanding. And sometimes God will take and he will put all three together. And he'll use your body, he'll use medicine, he'll use surgery, and then he just heals miraculously. I was thinking about this the other night, and it literally got me excited when all of a sudden I noticed this file in my computer. Do you realize I have a file in my computer, and some of the files are over 15 years old, of of funerals that I have planned with some individuals in this church 15 years ago. Because they were given a diagnosis that they were only going to live six months or a year or two years. And so as a result of that, they came in my office and they met with me. And we planned out their funeral. I have yet to preach those funeral messages. I have over five of them in that file. I have over five of them in that file. And many of you, many of you in this room have been given diagnosis. Or you have come to a place of, of deep personal pain. And nobody thought you would make it through. it. And God did something. God did something in that moment. I still believe as your pastor, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we can trust him. And the same power that the apostles had in the New Testament, we still have today. We still have today. And this is what Paul is trying to help us to understand. Paul is trying to get us to understand. But unfortunately, there's some people around us that say, you know what? God only moves where it's logical. And God only moves where it makes sense. And God only moves in ways that, it can, can, that I can understand. But I am here to tell you there's something powerful about the mystery of God. When God just moves and we don't understand. There's some of you in this room that have gone through unbelievable loss, unbelievable hurt and pain. And the only reason you're still able to come in that room, this room and lift hands and worship him is why? Because his sustaining power in your life. And so this morning I want to give you three things if my voice holds up, three characteristics of the Christian. The first one is this what Paul is telling us is we're to live by faith. Is we're to come to that place, regardless of regardless of our age, we're to live by faith. Verse 15, he said, This is why. Since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Not some of the saints. Not the saints you agree with. Not the saints that you like. Not the saints that have the same opinion as you. All. I mean, I, I even looked it up. I even said, you know, well, what does the Greek say about this word all? You know what the, you know what the Greek says? All. That he, he, he talks about this love for all the saints. And Paul is talking about this issue that as believers, we live a life of faith regardless of our age. Now listen, the American dream tells us what? The American dream says early in life you, 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 you work hard and, and, and you put away some money and you build towards that retirement so that you can get to retirement and that you can just live comfortably and you no longer really have to trust him. But, and, but that's the American dream. And so as, as I've gotten older, I have realized that the older I get, the harder it is to risk and trust God. You know Why? Because naturally, the older we get, we just want to be comfortable, right? We're worried about our 401K. We're worried about our retirement. We're worried about some other things. And so the older we get, that if we're not careful, we just want to get comfortable. But Paul said, that that may be the American dream. That is not the kingdom path. And that is not the kingdom of God. I will never forget just just thinking through this about it does get harder the older that you you get to remind yourself that in, in these moments, we still trust God. Then in our our 30s, in our mid-30s, God called us to leave Houston, Texas and come to Pueblo, Colorado to plant a church. And and we liquidated everything. We moved our family just on a scripture. and, uh, And a lot of people will stop me and say, man, that must have taken amazing faith to, like, do that. It did take faith. But I was still young enough to where I could reason, you know what, we could go do this for five years, and if it doesn't work out, I can go back to Houston, Texas, I can get a job in engineering, I can work another three years, I can rebuild my retirement, I can take care of myself. And so I I had that safety net, right? I cannot imagine at my age, at 63 years of age, if God called me again to liquidate everything, risk everything, and just trust him. This is the type of faith that Paul's talking about. I mean, when I read Noah and I read Moses and I read Joshua and Caleb that late in life that they were just still trusting him. But this is not only true of of individuals, this is true of churches. You realize that churches have a, a life cycle. And churches have a life cycle of about 25 years, that there can be unbelievable growth, growth the first 20 years and explosive things happening. And then all of a sudden, like at, like at, like at year 20, when there's some set success and there's some other things, that the church just wants to get comfortable. And they no longer want to risk, and they no longer want to trust, and they, they just want to be comfortable. And as a result of that, they slowly start to plateau, and they slowly, slowly, slowly start to decline. And it can not only be true of individuals, it can be true of churches. That's why next weekend is so important to me, that we continue to risk and we continue to trust, even in the times that we live, even with the challenges that we have, that we continue to trust Him. And so when you look at this, you realize that the kingdom path is to trust Him in every, every area of your life or every age. Uh, Hebrews 10.38 says, But my righteous, righteous ones will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. Look at this. The best definition of, he, uh, of faith is in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And it says this, Now without faith it's impossible to please God. Since the one who draws near to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You will never trust God with your, with your finances, with your talent, with your treasures, with your life, until one, you know that he exists, And two, you know that he rewards you, that he rewards you for just following him, for just trusting him. And so I believe there's some Christians that are not seeing the immeasurable power of God in their life because they're no longer living by faith. They're no longer living life on the edge. They're no longer just trusting him. I mean, you see this over and over in the scriptures, like with the disciples Jesus had to force the disciples to trust him. Jesus had to force the disciples to walk by faith, right? For finally, in Matthew, at the end of Matthew, he had to, like, push them out of the nest and force them. says, go. Just go. And he gave them the great commission. Go and... And, and reach people and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In Acts, Acts chapter 1, remember the disciples? Jesus Jesus told them uh, in the Gospels that wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit, and then after you receive power, then do what? Then go. It wasn't, in, it, and so the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2. It wasn't until Acts chapter 6 that all of a sudden he had to push them out of the nest with opposition so that they would go and do something what he had called them to do. For every one of us, there's a natural tendency just to want to be comfortable. Just want to play it safe. I'll never forget years years back we had these these birds that like built a nest in our in our um, on our, our back patio. And so I had great fun like watching the whole deal, the building of the nest, the laying of the eggs, and and then the, the, the baby chicks are hatched. And then I also was there that Saturday when the mama bird had to just visibly just force them, just push them. Just push them out of the nest. And many times, that's what we need. Many times, that's what Jesus had to do with the disciples and the apostles. Is just push them out. But God has given us, listen, God has given us immeasurable power, the great power of God. It would be like for you and I, that once we finish this message, we go get to our get in our cars and we push our car home instead of using the power that's in the engine. And many of us, were living our Christian life that way. And we no longer believe that God gives us power. We no longer believe that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and that power is available to me. And I'm telling you, what activates that power is faith. Faith in your life. The second thing is this, that we're to be known by love. That we're just to be known by love. And my concern for the, for the contemporary church is this, is we are no longer lo- known by love. Because of some of the rhetoric or some of the words we're using or or judging and some of these other things. And so when you look at this, you realize that God didn't give us influence to lead people. God gave us influence so that we could love people, so we can minister to people. Verse 15, it says, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your hope and, and your love for what? For all the saints. I mean, this was like unique even in their day. Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters, what? What matters is faith. Working through what? Working through love. I mean, all through Scripture, and this is just fin- uh, fascinating to me. Faith is always attached to love. Faith is always, faith is always attached to love. You see it, first Corinthians 13, Right. You see it all through Scripture. Remember 1 Corinthians thirteen. A lot of times we read it at, at weddings to like describe love, and we have that big emotional meeting uh, moment. You know, love. Love is you know love is not self-seeking. Love is not rude. Love is you know, for, forgiving, keeping no records of wrong. You know that that deal. And I just tell you, that has nothing to do with a wedding. It's a great descript- It is a great description to read of a definition of love. I get that. I've done that. Nothing wrong with it. But the context of that verse. Paul is writing into the, the church in Corinth saying, you no longer love all the saints. You only love the saints that agree with you. You only love the saints that are like you. You only love you. And so he's writing into there and says, you've got to understand, faith and love go hand in hand. Much like grace and peace. When you look at grace and peace, grace and peace always go together in the New Testament. You cannot, listen, you cannot have peace without grace, right? You It's impossible. And so grace and peace go together, faith and love go together. And so what Paul is trying to help us to understand in their day and our day, it is hard, for, it is hard to find people that actually love all the saints. And many people who have faith or who have scripture in their, their bio, on their social media platform, whatever that is, can be harsh and mean, judgmental, critical. And that's not true faith. We're to live by faith. And part of that is, is loving all the saints. All the saints. That's why this point is love by faith. Have you ever loved somebody by faith? A spouse, a child, a friend, a parent, a a co-worker, have you, ever loved, have you ever loved somebody by faith? Let me ask you this. Has anybody ever loved you by faith? A season in your life when you'd say, you know, I'm really unlovable. Because of some of my response, some of my... Has anybody loved you by faith? Faith of who you could become. I mean, aren't, aren't you thankful that the Scripture says Jesus loves us by faith. He sees us not as we are, but who we can become. Has anyone ever loved you by faith? The first people that ever loved me by faith were my aunt and uncle. In college when I lost everything and the bottom fell out of my life, they didn't see me as I was, and they didn't see me in my sin. They saw me what I could become in a relationship with Jesus Christ, and they're the ones that invited me into their home, took me to church, and it was there that I met Christ. One man once said this, treat a man as he is, and he will remain there. But treat somebody by what they could be or should be, and one day they'll be what they could be and should be. There's something powerful about It's all through the Gospels. I, um, scripture says in Genesis 1:26 and 27, it says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and they will rule. Uh, the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and creatures that crawl on the earth. And God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God, and he created them male and female. So the scripture says that whether you're male or female, doesn't matter. You, you're created in the image of God. And so there's either a, John chap- or a Genesis chapter 1, 26 image of God, or a John chapter 3, verse 16 image of God when we know him. But what the Scripture says is that we are created, everyone is created in the image of God. And so, so when you look at this, you, you realize that that nobody, nobody has ever really changed, and nobody has ever really come to Christ because they've been yelled at, they've been labeled, they've been called names, uh, they've been criticized, they've been, they've been told every mistake that they've ever made in their life and what's wrong with them. Jim Cimbala just recently said this, and I'll, I'll read a, a quote of his. And so Jim Simbola went to Harlem. He went to the inner city of of New York. And he, I mean, it it was just, it it was a a difficult ministry. And so he has people coming to Christ. And it's just an amazing ministry. Uh, Brooklyn Tabernacle is is the name of of the church in, in New York. And here's a quote of his. And here's what he says. He says, we live in a world that says, if you're like me and agree with me, I love you. If you're different or don't think like I do, I don't like you. But God's love isn't like that. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And Jim Cimbala was trying to help his church, and he's trying to help us to understand that we love, and we love through, through faith. And so love is, not, love is not like tolerating one another, right? So the world will tell you that, you know what, love is, love is like, like when you tolerate someone. That is not love, and that is not biblical love. Can you imagine going to romantic dinner and candle's on the table and someone looks across the, the table at you and they look you in the eyes and say, hey baby, I'm gonna tolerate you for the rest of my life. <laughs> that is not love, that is not love. And so you realize what the, what the scripture says is we love people, we engage with people, but we still, we still talk about repentance. We still talk about Jesus, but that, that is, is love. It's accepting one another, and, and sometimes we accepting is not approval and approval of somebody's actions, but it's embracing one another, it's encouraging one another, it's supporting one another, it's 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 walking through life together because we're we're all different, right? I mean, we're all different. Some of us some of us like meat, and some of us you know some of us are vegetarians, and you know how come we know you're vegetarians because you always tell us, and so uh, you. Know, <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? You always tell us, and we love you. We love you. I'm telling you, I love you. It just, it just saves more meat for me. And so, uh, so we love you. And so we're all different. Listen, I just want to tell you just a, pers- a very personal story to maybe help you understand how I live this out. I have a friend that I, I met in the, in the community, and and, uh, and uh, he, he's not a Christian. It's not a Christian. And so I've, I've, I've built a relationship with him, and I love him. And, but we don't agree on anything. Uh, we don't agree on the definition of marriage, and we don't agree when life begins, and, and we, don't, we don't agree on uh, that God gives gender and assigns gender. We don't agree on any of that. We don't even agree on how to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And so, I mean, we don't agree on anything. But this man, God has given me a deep love for this man to reach him. And so we we have this we have this relationship. And there's times that I tell him, I just I just want to see you in heaven with me one day. I just want to see you in heaven with me one day. And so I've known this man for 4 or 5 years. Thanksgiving morning, I'm working through the scriptures and doing my life journaling and all of a sudden his name came to my mind and I could not get his name off of my mind. And so I says, "Well, you know what? Must be of the Lord. I'm going to text him." And so I sent him just a really simple text and said, "Hey, called his name I said, I just want you to know on this Thanksgiving day, I am thankful. I am thankful for our friendship. And I hope you have a good day with your family and friends. And he texted me back and says, thank you, and I'm thankful for your friendship as well. A few days later, I was out, and he was with his buddies, and I was walking up, and he, he walked away from his buddies so his buddies wouldn't hear him. And he came over to me, And he literally got emotional. I mean, his eyes watered, and he got emotional. I've never seen him get emotional. And all of a sudden, he just hugs me, and he says, I'm I'm still shocked. I'm still shocked that you're grateful for our friendship and relationship. We disagree on so many things. I'm just shocked. And I called his name, and I says, well, you know what? I still want to see you in heaven with me one day. And I believe that day is going to come. And I'm going to continue to be your friend. And so this is what this is what Paul is talking about. And the third and the last thing is this is pray by faith and love. And pray by pray by faith and love. Listen, I'm telling you, faith will only take you so far. And it's the grace of God and it's the presence of God that will take you the, the rest of the day. Remember when we started out this text together that Paul was referring to saints. That's just a that's just a, You may not have look at yourself as a saint, but if you're in Christ, if you're a believer, you're a saint. And so it's just a way of saying Christian, believer. And so he's writing this to believers. He's writing this to, to a church. And so there's there's something. I don't know if you're like me, but there's something about getting to talk to someone that's like an expert in their field, whether it's someone that's in law enforcement, whether it's a, someone in, in the medical field, whether it's an electrician or a plumber, or a farmer or rancher or someone like that, a real estate, an accountant, something like that. Isn't it, isn't it fascinating to be around someone that, you know what, that man or woman, they're an expert in their field. I mean, you ask them about their, that subject, they, they, can, they can go into detail. I mean, it's impressive. There is something about talking to an expert in their field. Well, I want you to know, when I look at Paul's life, I realize, guess what, Paul is an expert in this in the field of prayer. Paul is an expert in this area of prayer. He understood when you when you look at the New Testament and 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 I'll tell you how I've kind of reconciled this this last week, but when you look at Paul and, and as it relates to the New Testament, he had a different gear for prayer. And he had a different gear for prayer that a lot of the other apostles didn't have that is not in Scripture, and when you look at Paul, you realize that he had a different connection with God, that God was able to reveal some things to Paul that, that, that nobody else, that God didn't reveal to other people, right? And then when you look at Paul, I started asking the question, okay, so why is it with Paul? Why does Paul have this different gear? Why does Paul understand prayer different than others in the New Testament, than a lot of us? And the reason I believe, personal opinion, but the reason I believe that is, is this, That you can gain some things in opposition or criticism that you cannot get in friendship. And Paul, Paul had unbelievable opposition. He lived under unbelievable criticism. People criticizing his motives, people criticizing if really apostle, people even criticizing if he was a believer when he's stuck in jail for living out his faith. The people in the church are criticizing him and said maybe he was outside of the will of God. They were trying to split the church. They're trying to take the church. And Paul walked through times of just great Opposition, and here's what I've learned about this. You can gain some things in opposition that you cannot get in friendship And what I mean by this when you're under a lot of opposition When you have people criticizing you it will push you to your knees It will help you to understand that guess what? I am only going to get through this by the power of God I am only going to get through this by by his power in my in my life And that was that was Paul Paul had this dependency on God like, like no other. And a lot of us will never learn to pray, and pray until we get desperate. We'll never learn to pray until we realize, unless I get the power of God applied to my circumstance and my situation, I don't think I'm going to make it through this. Here's what Paul wrote. This is his prayer, much different than ours. Verse 16, I never stopped giving thanks for you as I remembered you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance, what in the saints, and what is the measurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his strength. He exercised his power in Christ by raising him from the dead, seating him at the right hand in the heavens, Far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion and every t- power uh, title given, not only in this age but also in the one to come. When you look at Paul, Paul listen. Paul kept asking. Paul kept asking for God's power to apply to his situation and his circumstance. True prayers when we continue to ask, even though we can't see anything happening, there is a false belief that, that people believe. That unless I can see evidence of God doing something, then that means He's not doing anything. Come next week, you're gonna learn, we're gonna illustrate this next week. That just because you and I cannot see God doing something in your life, in a relationship, what you're asking Him to do, doesn't mean that He's not doing anything. When you look at this, you realize Paul prayed much differently than we pray. When we pray for other people, we tell God how to change them, right? If we're honest. God, this is what you need to take care of. God, this is what you need to this is what you need to change. And, we're, and whether we realize it or not, we begin playing God. Playing God. I know what's best for them. I know what's best for the whole world. But when you look at Paul, look what Paul does. Paul prayed that 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 you may get gi- that that you may give that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You know what he's praying? He says, God, would you give them ability to make the right decision? Would you give them the ability to have wisdom? You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is not just seeing a problem. But wisdom is knowing how to handle that problem. To take God's word and apply it to your situation. And so when you look at Paul, Paul begins praying. Listen, Paul begins praying for other people, not saying how to change them because this is a difficult church. God, would you give them the wisdom? Would you give the ability to make the right decision? Would you give them the ability to know you? God, would you... Listen, prayer is the language to get to know God. Prayer is not about getting. Prayer is not about using the Scripture like this legal document and this contract. To God, I'm claiming this verse, and unless you do this, then you're in breach of contract, and I'm angry and mad at you forever. Prayer is the language that we use to get to know the heart of the Father. I'm telling you, this issue of prayer that Paul understood to where you come to the place that you keep asking, you keep whether it's a whether it's a spouse, whether it's a friend, whether it's a child, whether it's a parent, whether it's someone that you work with, that God would you just give would you just give them the ability? Would you give them the wisdom? Would you give the revelation? Would you give them a desire to know you, to know you deeper? Verse 18 Ephesians 1. And I pray that the eyes of your heart watch this may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saint? That is what I pray for, my friend. That is what I pray. And you know what Paul says? In verse 22, we'll read it and we'll close. Paul says, even though your problems are over his, your head, they are under his feet because he's sovereign, because he's in control, because his power is immeasurable. You can't compare it to anything. I mean, that, I mean, it's a megaton dynamite power of God that when you and I learn how to attach, take his power and apply it to our situation, things happen. Verse 22, and he subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body. The fullness of the one who, who feels all things in every way, prayer is getting to know God. And prayer does not change me. I'm sorry, prayer does not change God. Prayer changes me. As I get to know him, and all of a sudden I start lining up with him instead of him starting to line up with me. And I have testimony after testimony, and many of you in this room do too, of how God applied his power to your situation. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?